we are going to look at several scriptures this morning. We're not going to we're not going to be looking at one particular passage. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn with me, uh, we may go through through some of them quicker than you have an opportunity to turn. But as always, please ask me afterwards, and I'll be happy to tell you what scriptures we used if you if you weren't able to catch them. But we are talking about baptism today. This seems like a fitting time to discuss this topic since we have a baptism. Baptisms are something that that many of us, if not all in this room, are familiar with. We we see baptisms. We go to church. We read about baptism in Scripture. We see others who are baptized. We ourselves may have been baptized, and we are going to talk about the significance of, of baptism today. Uh, what baptism means, and, and maybe in some instances, what it does not mean. So we are going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. These are some pretty well-known verses that Jesus spoke right before he ascended to go back to heaven. Jesus left this command with those who were his followers. And so, if we ask the question this morning, why do we baptize? Well, we find the answer to that here in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. Give everybody a second to turn to that. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. When you get it, say, got it. All right, praise the Lord. All right, let's pray, and then we are going to jump in. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for a good day. We thank you for being good to us. And God, we thank you that we can come and we can worship in your house this morning. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be among us, that you would open our ears and open our eyes to see what your word has to say, to hear what your word has to say. God, that we pay attention, that we don't daydream. God, the devil, he gets us thinking about stuff we're going to do, stuff we want, stuff that's on our mind, worries we have, joys we have, whatever it may be, dear Lord. But don't let the enemy steal our attention today. Let us give it entirely to you. And I pray, God, that you would help me to preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you and to your kingdom. God, I pray that you give me the strength, dear Lord, to to, to say what you want me to say. God, I pray that, that you just would be lifted up, that you take away any, any nerves or any fears or any worries that I have, God, any distractions that any of us have, and that this day, in these few moments, God will be given to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Why do we baptize? Well, this is why we baptize. Then Jesus came near and said to them, that is, his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is why we baptize. This is a command of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who said to his disciples, Look, I'm leaving you, but I have all power. I have given my life on a cross. I have, I have been resurrected 
from the grave. I have conquered death. I have conquered sin. I am all-powerful over all things. And this power I'm leaving with you to continue the work that I have prepared you for so that you can continue to go into the world and you can make disciples of all people. No matter where they are, no matter where they live, no matter what their social status is, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter how smart they are or how dumb they are, no matter how good looking they are or how ugly they are, no matter who it is, Jesus says, take this good news that I've given you, take this good news of my resurrection and teach it and tell it to all of the world. And when those who hear this message choose to follow me, then baptize them. Baptize them in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And teach them, and teach them, and teach them to do all the things that I have commanded you. Why did I say and teach them three times? Because we don't do a good job of that, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are often good at telling people about Jesus Christ and the good news. That, that he gave his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven. We are good at baptizing new brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are often not good in teaching them the commands of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to do a better job of this, brothers and sisters in Christ, especially today as we have one who is being baptized. Now, there's no doubt that we all love this young lady this morning. But we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ, not just to support her on this day, but to support her for the rest of her life. How do we support her? We support her by teaching her God's words, by teaching her the commands of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't, I'm not a good teacher. Well, you don't have to teach her by, by, by sitting down like a school teacher and go through a lesson plan. You teach her by how you live your life. You mature Christian men and women, you are to be an example to new brothers and sisters in Christ. To say, this is how you live your life. This is what God commands us to do. And Jesus tells his disciples, and some of you in this room are his disciples, this is what you do. You tell people about me, and when people follow me, you baptize them. And you teach them my commands. That's why we baptize. It's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. We don't have to look all throughout Scripture. We can see the answer to that question in just these few verses this morning. But when did baptism start? To, to understand baptism a little better, we need to look at really the first mention of baptism. At least baptism in, in the sense that we are speaking of it today. And we can find that in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We see the first instance of baptism in the New Testament here at the beginning of the four different gospel accounts. Now, when we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're talking about one story that four different writers wrote about. And so they all have different uh, details about these stories as you read. And you can see Jesus' baptism at the beginning of some of these other accounts as well. 
We are going to look at Marks today, but if you want to study this some more, you can explore those other accounts. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. You will prepare your way. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here we see this, really the first mention of, of baptism in the Bible. And that, that may be surprising to some of you. And, and one question that may come to your mind when you read these passages is why was John baptizing? Why, why was he doing this? There's no Old Testament command where baptism was commanded. There's, there's really no reference of that through the Old, Old Testament. So why in the world was John baptizing? Why did he decide, I need to go down to the Jordan River, I need to find a body of water, and I need to start dunking people in the water for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, part of why Jesus was doing this is explained to us in this passage. The Old Testament was prophesying about one who was going to come, the Savior of the world, that is Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're talking about the time before Jesus and the time of Jesus until now. The Old Testament are all the events that happened before Jesus came. And in the Old Testament, everything we see, everything we see is pointing us to Jesus Christ. These figures we see, these events we see, all the things we see take place in Scripture are pointing us forward to Jesus who is going to come. And one of those passages is a passage from Isaiah that says, before the Messiah comes, there is coming one who will prepare the way for him. That is, somebody is going to come and he's going to let people know the Messiah is coming. The time has come. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that one was John the Baptist. He came baptizing people, preparing them for what was about to take place. What was about to take place? The Messiah of the world was coming onto the scene. And what would he do? He would give his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. So when John comes and he begins to baptize, he is baptizing and he is telling people to come and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, John has no power to forgive sins, but he is preparing the way for the one who does have the power to forgive sins in Jesus Christ. Now, one, one obvious answer as to why John even decided dunking people in water was, was something that needed to be done is that God revealed this to him. It could be that this is something that God revealed to him and said, all right, John, this is what I want you to do. So get out there and do it. This is how you are going to prepare the way. And that very well could be the case, and I have no problem accepting that to be the case. It has been suggested by some that this was something that the Jewish people had already begun to do kind of on their own. 
maybe adding a little to what the Old Testament command was about purification. Uh, it, it is possible that the Jewish people of the day uh, were, were using baptism, something that they had implemented as a way of purification. And, and John was simple, simply continuing that, but in a more perfect way, in a more godly way. It's not uncommon for us in Scripture when we see the Jewish people to take God's Word and to add to it or to go further than what it says. We cannot be sure exactly why John was baptizing, but we can be sure that this is what God intended for him to do. This was of God. For whatever reason John was doing it, it was because God had called him to do it. It was because God had called him to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Now, how... How do we see baptism in the Scripture? Well, we know that John was baptizing, and there are a couple of Scriptures that really show us when we speak of baptism in the sense that we are speaking of it today with someone being dunked in the water. There are a couple of Scriptures that, that we see that played out. One is of a lot of significance. That is Matthew chapter 3, if you would like to turn there. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We'll look at a couple of examples where baptism is literally spelled out for us in Scripture. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, John was baptizing, and of all the people who were going to come to be baptized... Lo and behold, here comes the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And he comes to John, and he says, John, I want you to baptize me. And John says, whoa, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. But Jesus said, no, you got to do it. This is the way it's got to be done. And so we see that Jesus himself is baptized. Now, Jesus from beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, lives out the example that we are to live. Jesus shows us everything that we are to do. And in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, I take delight in him. So this would have probably been a pretty phenomenal event. You can imagine what it must have been like for John, for him to be able to baptize the Savior of the world. Now Jesus wasn't being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He was being baptized to show us the way, to show us the example, to show us what we needed to do. We see another example of a literal baptism in Scripture. Acts chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. This is a good story. I would encourage you to read it sometime if you, if you have the time. Uh, it's good, but we won't cover it all today. But Acts chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Acts chapter 8, 34 through 38. Now, there was a guy by the name of Philip, Christian guy. He was on a journey 
And he came across another guy in the desert. And he saw this guy, and he was reading God's Word. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was, he was reading it, and he was into it, and he, and, he, and he didn't understand what was going on, and he, he wanted somebody to explain it to him. And Philip said, let me explain it to you. Let me, let me tell you what God's Word says. Let me help you. That's a, that's a good lesson in that for us, too. There, sometimes the Bible is hard, and so there is no shame in going to another brother and sister in Christ and saying, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense to me. Look, there are scriptures that I, that I read that I don't understand, not, not that I'm some Bible expert. I am not. But uh, saying that there are, there are always going to be those scriptures that we do not understand, and there is no shame in, in going to someone saying, I don't understand this. Help me to understand what this says and what this means. And Philip, going to this man, says, look, I'll, I'll help you understand what this means. And he proceeds to tell him the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He tells him of what Jesus does. Now, we don't have a whole detailed list of exactly what he says, but he preached the message of Jesus Christ to this man, and this man, after hearing the message, was, was ready to follow Jesus Christ. Let's read Acts chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So upon hearing this good news of Jesus Christ, this eunuch was ready to follow Jesus Christ. And, he, and, and as they were going along, they came across water, and he says, What would stop me from being baptized? Philip said, Nothing would stop you from being baptized. All you got to do is believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart. You devote your heart to Jesus Christ, you follow him, and you can be baptized. Eunuch was ready to go. All right, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ. And out of the chariot they went and into the water, and bam, he was baptized on the spot. Now these are a couple of literal examples we see of baptism in Scripture of Jesus and of this, of this uh, eunuch that, that Philip baptized. But we also see that baptism is used symbolically. And this is what we need to understand when we talk about baptism. We, we are baptized because Jesus tells us to be baptized, because he gave us the very example to be baptized. We know that that's what we are supposed to do. But what is the significance of that? What is the meaning of that? What is the point of that? Well, we have to look to scriptures that speak of baptism symbolically to understand that. We know that we are literally to be baptized, but there is something symbolic in the act of baptism. Now, we can see a couple of examples, and one of those is in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 
in this passage, Paul is referencing something that occurred in the Old Testament. Now, here is what occurred. I'll refresh you if you maybe haven't heard the story in a while, or maybe you've never heard the story at all. God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved in Egypt. God brought up a man, Moses, to be the one who would go into Egypt and who would lead the Israelites out of all the hard times that they were in, out of the slavery that they were in, out of the oppression that they were in. And Moses was going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. That is a land that God was going to give his people that would provide all of their needs and they would keep them safe. It was a big portion of land. It was a lot of people. The Israelites were a big group of people. And so God sent Moses in. I'm skipping a lot in this story, by the way, so go back and read Exodus for yourself. It's a really good story. God goes in, and he delivers the Israelites by the power of God. And as they are escaping from Egypt, the Egyptians begin to chase them along their way. Now, Pharaoh, who was a pretty evil guy, had a hard heart, the Scripture said, was really reluctant to let the Israelites go. But after a series of plagues, he finally said, get out of here. Moses, take them and go. So Moses takes the Israelites, and it's a bunch of them. It, it could have been millions of them. And they begin to make their journey out of Egypt so that they can go to the promised land. Well, after they get a little ways away, the Pharaoh says, you know what? I'm not, I'm not letting them go. So he wrangles up all of his troops, all of his chariots, and off he goes against the Israelites. Now, the Israelites had made it all the way to the Red Sea. And that's as far as they could go, quickly at least. They, they couldn't quickly go around the sea. And lo and behold, here comes the enemy. Here comes Pharaoh in all of his chariots coming up quickly behind him. They see that he's coming, and there is nowhere for them to go. And so... What does God do? Well, through Moses, Moses stands there before the sea and he raises his hands and the Red Sea parts. A whole sea parts in two and the Israelites are able to cross on dry ground. And as soon as the last Israelite gets across and, and Pharaoh and his chariots are, are, are bearing down on them, as soon as they are in the middle of the Red Sea, God closes the Red Sea on top of their enemies. And on one side of the Red Sea... The Israelites were in bondage. They were not free from the one who was trying to attack them. But on the other side of the Red Sea, there was freedom. And God had to prepare the way so that they could make their way from their bondage to their freedom. And so Moses delivers the Israelites by God's power. God sends this cloud and this pillar of fire uh, as they're on their journey day and night that, that kind of guides them and shows them where to go as they are on their journey to the promised land, to safety. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, Paul references this event. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea and, were all, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, this is a strange language for Paul to use, right? That they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and into sea. 
the, the baptism symbolizing something that they went through, this process that they went through. They were baptized in this process. They were immersed in this process, if, if it's not too much of a stretch to make that application here with baptism. And, and in this process, Paul says, look, they were baptized into this process, a process where they went from bondage to where they went to freedom. And it was the baptism, these things that he's speaking of here, Moses, the sea, the cloud, all of these things, this is the baptism process in which they were led from their bondage to their freedom. And so he's using this language symbolically here in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. We see another reference of baptism used symbolically in the Old Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. First Peter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now there is much that we could say about this chapter in the context of this chapter. And I would love to. And if y'all would sit through it, I would do it. But I will not do it for your sake. Although I will warn you, it's a good chance that I will preach a long time. The last two weeks I've preached an hour, so it might not be long until they run me out. But, but I'm not apologizing for that. We're going we're gonna to look at God's Word because it's important for us, I'm just I'm just giving you a warning. So, if you got your clock set at twelve, you may want to you may want to kill that alarm. First Peter chapter three verses twenty and twenty one. God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here we see baptism used in a similar way as Paul used it in 1 Corinthians 10. It is symbolic language. Here Peter uses the story of Noah and the ark. Long story short, the world was evil. There was nobody righteous but Noah and his family. God decided to spare Noah's family. Noah built an ark, and when floods came, all of the evil were destroyed in the flood, but Noah and his family were spared. What, Peter says, does that represent? It represents baptism. It represents a passing from a time of evil to a time of deliverance, where the evil were destroyed and the, and the righteous were delivered. And so we see this symbolic language. We see this pattern here. And we see this pattern spelled out for us even more clearly in Romans. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. So we get baptized literally. We literally come and we stand in the water and we are dunked under. And praise the Lord, we should do that because that's what Jesus Christ did and that's what he commanded us to do. We do that literally. But that act is, is, is representative of something much more significant. And that is spelled out for us in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Paul is addressing sinners here, which is appropriate since you and I are sinners. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now here Paul tells us what baptism means for the Christian. What is the symbolism? Well, Jesus Christ gave his life on a cross, and he was placed in a tomb. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. Now, the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. That's the one thing that we can't conquer. That's, that's, that's what we all have to look forward to because we are all sinners. Death is going to eventually get every one of us. Now, we are going to die in this world, but there is another death that is far worse than this, the second death that we see in Scripture. But even though the wages of our sin is death, God desired to deliver us from the wages of those sin. Now, death had to occur for forgiveness to occur because the wages of sin is death. Now, there are two options. That is... You and I could all die as punishment for our sins. That's one option. We would die and we would be separated from God for all of eternity because of our sin. Option number one, that's not a good option, right? That's not a suitable option. It's not one that we would look forward to. Now, if God had chosen option one, he would be just in doing so. He's God. He hasn't forced us to sin. But praise the Lord, that's not the only option. If it was, we could all just get up and go out right now. But that's not the only option that God had. God said there's another option. The other option was God himself coming in the flesh in Jesus Christ and saying, I'll pay the perfect ransom for them. They can't pay it. They're sinful. They can't pay the price. And if they do pay the price in death, well, it'll be too late. They can't be saved. So God sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for us so that he would die and be raised from the dead. Now, Jesus died. He was nailed to a cross and he died. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. But that's not the end of the story. You see, even though he was dead, he paid the wages of sin by his death, but God resurrected Jesus Christ. Death did not get the final say. Now, Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. So his debt was good enough to cover our debt as well. Good enough to cover the debt of all humanity for all who would come to it. And Jesus was resurrected and defeated death. Now, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 through 5 that this is what our baptism symbolizes. This is what our baptism relates to. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that the death of Jesus covers the wages of our sin. 
It means that we are baptized in Christ. Before Christ, we are lost sinners doomed to hell with no hope. Before Christ, that's where you are. And some of you may still be there today. Before Christ, we are doomed in our sin and the wages of our sin. But in Christ, when we follow Jesus Christ, when we make Him our Lord and Savior, when we are in obedience to Him in what we do, then we are baptized into Christ. When we say, Lord Jesus, I accept your sacrifice. We are baptized into Christ and we are baptized into his death. And just as Jesus Christ conquered death, so will you and I conquer death. When we come to Jesus Christ, we are sinners. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. And that baptism that we talk about in Scripture, that we're about to experience today, says... This is my decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I'm going into this water a sinner, but I'm coming out of this water one who has been washed by the blood of Jesus. So we see this symbolic language used in Scripture. We see that spelled out for us pretty quickly in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And now why delay Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. By calling on whose name? By calling on the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name you can call on. What name are you going to call on? Are you going to call on the name of me, your pastor? Are you going to call on the name of Billy Graham? Are you going to call on the name of the President of the United States? What name are you going to call on to save your soul? There are no names to call on to save your soul other than Jesus Christ. People call on a lot of names. People call on a lot of things, a lot of materialistic things. People trust in a lot of wealth. They trust in a lot of stuff. But who are you going to call on? Ghostbusters? There is nobody we can call except for on the name of Jesus Christ. And he is the one who will wash away your sins. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin if we walk in the light. What is the light? Who is the light? Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. There are no shortcuts. There are no other ways into the kingdom of God than through Jesus Christ. Now that's the introduction to the sermon today. Now I'll get into the sermon today. It is not uncommon for me to have people come up to me, and I don't ask this. This is just volunteered information. I don't know why people do this. But it's not uncommon in conversations to hear people say, you know, I, I, I've been baptized since I was, you know, when I was five years old, when I was 12 years old. And praise the Lord. That's good. What I hope they're saying is, I have been following Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior 
with all my heart and soul since I was five years old. But oftentimes, I'm not so sure that's what they're saying. Sometimes I think people say, oh yeah, I've been baptized. And they have been baptized. But that's all they've done, has been baptized. And this is often evidence. And you may know people like this. They have been baptized. And they never dart the door of a church again. Now, not that going to church is required for our salvation. It is not. But oftentimes, these people who will come to church once or twice and be baptized, and then we see them for months or years afterwards, living a life that is not bearing good fruit. The Bible says we will know a tree by its fruit. Now, I don't know anybody's heart. I'm not saying that somebody is or isn't saved. But I'm saying that it's not uncommon that people will be baptized, and yet never by any appearance seem to follow Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. They say, oh yeah, I've been baptized. Well, praise the Lord. That's great. But are you following Jesus Christ? That's the real question. See, when we talk about baptism today as we are, we are talking about a baptism that accompanies salvation, not a baptism that provides salvation. Now, there's a big difference there. We get baptized because we follow Jesus Christ. We don't get baptized because we want a free ticket to heaven. Our baptism will not ensure us any grace from God on the day of judgment if it does not accompany a salvation in Jesus Christ. It's also not uncommon for me to hear people say, I want to be rebaptized." And my question is always, why? Well, I've been really bad, or I've done this, or I've done that. Well, when people say that they want to be rebaptized or need to be rebaptized. Really, all they need is to repent. Baptism is a one-time thing. Baptism follows repentance. And repentance continues to follow baptism. If you have genuinely put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you have been baptized, then praise the Lord. When you sin, you don't need to be rebaptized. You need to repent. Now, we are baptized because we repent, because we come to Jesus and say, Whoa, I am a rotten sinner. God, you know the things I think and the things I do. Man, God, I have been, I, I realize that I am a wretched sinner. God, I need your help. I need your grace. And so, what do we do? We repent. God, I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. God, I see that Jesus Christ is the Savior who can forgive my sins. And if he's my Savior, God, I'm going to follow and I'm going to listen to him. So God, I'll repent and I'll follow Jesus Christ. That is how you become a Christian. And if you have not done that this morning, you have not become a Christian. 
You may be saying, well, I've, I've been baptized. I've, I've walked the aisle. You know, we say that. We use that language if you're in church. That means I come down at the end of the service in front of everybody and I, I, said, I said the sinner's prayer. I repeated the certain words. I, I've, I've done that. I've, I've said the sinner's prayer. I've walked the aisle. I've been baptized. I'm a Christian, right? Well, maybe. Maybe not. Because none of those things matter. Some of you are saying, what? You're telling me walking the aisle and saying a sinner's prayer and being baptized doesn't matter? Well, that's exactly what I'm telling you. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those things matter zero. They matter zero. A lot of these things we do. Nowhere in Scripture that says to be saved you must come to a church house and you must walk down an aisle in front of everybody. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't say that you must repeat these certain words and then you are a Christian. Scripture doesn't say that. You know what the Scripture says? The Scripture says that we are to repent of our sin and that we are to follow Jesus Christ with all of our heart. And then we are a Christian. And it happens in an instant. It doesn't happen when we are baptized. It doesn't happen ten years later. It happens the very moment your heart even if no words are spoken, it happens the very moment that your heart says, Lord Jesus, I am following you. And in that instant, you are a child of God. Now, you may have walked an aisle, and you may have said a sinner's prayer afterwards, and you may have been baptized. But those things are not what made you a Christian. What made you a Christian is that you decided to follow Jesus Christ. Another similar type of thing that we may sometimes be guilty of. You know, we, we may be guilty of that, right? We may be guilty of, of telling people, hey, have you ever been baptized? That may be our opening question if we want to find out if somebody's a Christian. We may come up to them and we may say, hey, have you ever been baptized? Well, that's not a good question to ask. Because it may be that there are many people who have been baptized and they have put a false sense of security in their baptism because they believe that it is their baptism that has saved their soul and they don't realize that it is Jesus Christ who saves their soul. And if they have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, their soul is not saved. So asking somebody if they've been baptized is really not a good question. We, we may do that. We also may do a similar thing when it comes to heaven and hell. We want to make sure that somebody gets saved, right? We go up to them and say, hey, do you know where you're going when you die? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Well, that's not a horrible question to ask. I guess in some way that's effective at some point in time. It may get people to think. It's a thought-provoking question. But when we ask questions like, have you been baptized? And where are you going to heaven and hell? What we are doing is we are putting the emphasis on things that should not get the emphasis. We are putting the emphasis of Christianity on being baptized and going to heaven. But the emphasis on Christianity is not on being baptized and going to heaven. The emphasis is on Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
So when we present these questions as we do, have you been baptized? Are you going to heaven and hell? We leave people with this if-then statement in their mind that they are able to construct. And they say, all right, if I have been baptized, then I am going to heaven. And that may or may not be true. Because if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are not going to heaven. You can get baptized every day. If baptism got people to heaven, man, we would baptize them. I'm going to tell you what, I would send you out today with ropes and cages, and I would tell you to tie people up, cage them up, bring them in here by the truckload, and we would chuck them in the water all against their will with all their fussing and feuding, and we would do a thousand a day if we could. If baptism saved your soul, I would do that in a heartbeat. If you're not following Jesus Christ, your baptism's not doing you any good. If you are following Jesus Christ, then when you get baptized, you're burying the old self. You're doing away with the sinful self. You're putting it to death in Jesus Christ's death so that you can resurrect as a new life in Jesus Christ's resurrection. So when we talk about baptism, we need to talk about baptism as something that accompanies salvation, not something that guarantees salvation. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone that must be at the center of your life. Now, we can place other things at the center of our life, and sometimes we do. Sometimes we may place baptism at the center of our circle. Imagine a circle. And everything in your life around that circle has to tie into that circle. We may put baptism as the center of our circle. Is that, is that the thing that we trust in? But that's not the thing that we should trust in. We also may make our Christianity about going to heaven. Now look, there is nothing wrong with wanting to go to heaven, praise the Lord. That's a great thing. We look around this world today and if you say, well, I think I'd rather just stay here. I like things the way they are. Well, you're insane. And I'm sorry, but that's the truth. We look, we look, at, we look at heaven, and that's a beautiful place. And, and, and sometimes we say, oh, you're going to heaven and hell? And people say, I don't want to go to hell, so let me repeat this prayer. Let me be baptized. And, and we, make, we make heaven the center of our, of our universe, of our spiritual universe, of our godly universe. But that's not what being a Christian is about. Listen to this, brothers and sisters in Christ. Being a Christian is not just about going to heaven. Being a Christian is about following Jesus Christ. Now, you need to look at your life and you need to say, am I doing that? Because some of you may have been a Christian for years. And I'm not saying you're not a Christian. But I'm telling you, you need to look at your life and you need to see, am I serving Jesus Christ? I'm talking about really serving Jesus Christ. I'm talking about living for Him in the world. I'm talking about being in His Word, seeing what He says, seeing how He lives, and trying to live that out in your life every day. Are you doing that? I'm not talking about, do you just, do you just go to church occasionally? I'm not talking about, well, I throw up a prayer every day. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against God. I'm not talking about I read, a, I read a devotion once or twice a month to make me feel better. I'm talking about, are you living for Jesus Christ? 
Because that is what being a Christian is. Jesus, I trust you. I believe what your word says. Jesus, I trust you for my salvation, and I am going to do what you call me to do. I am going to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I am going to teach them the things that you have taught us so that they can live in those things. That is what it means to be a Christian. And if you are a Christian and you're not living that out, then you need to repent. We make, we make Christianity about a bunch of things. We make it about a bunch of traditions. We make it about a bunch of rituals. We make it about coming to church every Sunday. And those things are not all bad. Praise the Lord, we need to come to church. We need to gather together. That's what Christians should do. If you are not gathered with other Christians in some form, then you are missing out on something that God wants to bless you with. We should do those things. But those things should not be our Christianity. Our Christianity should not be, I have come to church, I have put money in the plate, I have said a prayer, now I'm going home, and that is my Christianity. Our Christianity is lived out in a very simple way. A very simple way. Now for new Christians, we, we, the question may be asked, and even for some of you who have been a Christian for a long time, you may ask the question, okay, I'm a Christian, now what? Now what do I do? I'm going to tell you what you do. And it's not hard. Well, it is kind of hard, I guess. But it's not hard to understand it. It's hard to do it. I'm going to tell you what you do, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is it. This is all that you need to do. Are you ready for this? It is not hard. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you do. I'm a Christian. Now what? Love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what are we called to do? Hey. Hey, you didn't know it was going to be a test today. Good news. If you said love God, love your neighbor, you passed the test. This is what it means to be a Christian. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is not hard. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a song leader. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible. You don't have to do any of those things. Now, if God calls you to, praise the Lord, do those things. You should be reading the Bible, by the way. But you don't have to memorize it all. But look, those things are, are part of us growing in our Christianity. But if you say, I'm a Christian, I don't know what to do, I'll tell you what to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put your own selfish desires on the back burner and seek God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you are doing that, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
You are living out what Jesus Christ has called you to do. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? You can remember that. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, that's not always easy to do. I will say that's not always easy to do because things happen in this world. Horrible things in our life, and we say, man, God, why aren't you doing something? And it's not uncommon for people to doubt God. Even among Christians, there may be hard times. And we may say, God, why is this happening? Why don't you make this better? And we may not always get answers to those questions. But we must continue to love God because we know that everything he does is right. Everything he says is right. And loving the neighbor. That's easy, right? It's easy to remember. Oh, yeah, all right, we should love our neighbor. That's what Jesus said. It's not that easy, is it? If you got good neighbors, if you had good neighbors like we and Michelle, just good, nice people, just beautiful people, quiet, wouldn't be hard to do. But your neighbors, now when Jesus says neighbors, he ain't talking about the person that lives next to you. He's talking about anybody you encounter in this world is your neighbor. And people we encounter are not always good to us. They are not always nice to us. They do not have our best interest in mind. They say things to us and to our family. They do things to us and to our family. And it is not easy to love our neighbor. But it is what Jesus calls us to do if we are his. And he knows it's hard. So don't feel like, man, I'm a, I'm a worthless failure because I'm holding this grudge and I can't forgive this person. No. God knows it's hard. And if you, if you are having trouble, then you just need to say, God, I'm struggling. Because this guy, God, you don't know what he did. Yeah, God knows. God knows. Jesus says, here's what, now not only, not only are we supposed to love our enemies, but here's what Jesus said. He said that we are to love our enemies, and we are to pray for them. Look out now. That's hard to do, right? And when we pray for our enemies, I'll tell you what, when you pray for your enemy, it may not change their heart. They may still be just as rotten as they have ever been. But I can just about guarantee you one thing, it'll change your heart. When we begin to pray for our enemies, our heart begins to change. And Jesus says not only to pray for them, he says if they are hungry, give them something to eat. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Now, there may be some of you in, your, in this room, you'd just assume spit on your enemy as you would give them something to drink. You better look out, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. These things are easy for us to remember. We are to love God and we are to love our neighbor. But it takes the power of God for us to accomplish those things and for us to do those things. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 13, I won't be too much longer. We're just about finished. But the food's in crock pot, so it's staying warm, so have no fear. <laughs> John chapter 15, verses 9 through 13. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that beautiful? 
Jesus said that, by the way. That's Jesus talking there. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, I want you to think about that person that is so rotten to you and how unlovable they are. And then I want you to think about yourself. Because you probably are not as good as you think you are. Now, you know your heart. You know the things you do, the things you think. You know how rotten it is. You know that you are a sinner. If you don't know, then I'm telling you. I'm bursting your bubble. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. And Jesus tells us in his word to love one another as I have loved you. And do you know what Jesus did for you? You rotten, nasty, dirty, sinful man and woman. Do you know what Jesus did for you? He took a beating. He was nailed to a cross. He was mocked. A crown of thorn was placed on his head. That's what Jesus did for you. Did you deserve that? Absolutely not. I didn't deserve it, for sure. You didn't deserve it. That's love. You want to talk about what love is? There it is right there. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. That's love. And Jesus tells his disciples before he is crucified, he said, look, love others as I have loved you. There is no greater love than when somebody gives their life for another. While we were still enemies, Jesus died for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And you know why? Because he loved you. Now some people don't like it when you say, well, who are you to tell me I'm a sinner? I'm just telling you what God's word says. I'm not telling you you are a sinner today or that I'm a sinner. I'm not, I'm not telling you you are a sinner because I want to condemn you. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 when he's speaking of dealing with people in sin, he says, look, don't, don't, don't call them out in their sin because you want to destroy them. Call them out in their sin because you want to see that they are saved. That they are transformed, that they are changed. We don't warn those that we wish to see perish. We warn those who we want to see saved. I'm telling you, you are a sinner today, but I'm also telling you that Jesus Christ loves sinners. Praise God. And no matter how evil or, or horrible you may be, the love of Jesus Christ can overcome that. We get this idea of love, right? We get this concept of love. We see how love changes evil. We see it all the time in our movies that we watch. You ever watch Star Wars? Spoiler alert, if you hadn't watched it in 40 years, well, you're too late. If you cover your ears if you're planning on watching it. But spoiler alert, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. There, I said it. The truth is out. And Darth Vader is this evil guy right at the end of the movie. When, when Darth Vader and the evil emperor have the opportunity to take over the world, the universe, guess what happens? Darth Vader changes his heart because he sees his son there, and guess what happens? There's a little spark of love, 
He realizes that he loves his son. And instead of killing his son, he kills the evil guy. And he dies. He sacrifices himself in love for his son. And we all cheer. and Maybe some of you cry. That's kind of weird if you cried at Star Wars. Maybe you did, and that's okay. I'm not judging you. But look, we see these type of things. We see it in the Grinch who stole Christmas, right? He's a nasty, gnarly, evil guy. And all he wants to do is destroy everything. And what changes the Grinch? What changes him? It is love. He sees the love of all the little people in Whoville. Is that the name of it? I don't know. I hadn't watched it in a while. He sees the love, and all of a sudden that changes this evil, horrible creature into something beautiful, into someone who cares for another person. We see it in Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. We see it with Professor Snape and Harry Potter, one who is just a super evil guy. But guess what? At the, at the end of it all, he's not quite as evil as you thought he was. There's a, there's a little bit of love there that he had. And we cheer for these things. We're excited at the end of these movies and our books when we see these people who, who are so evil that are changed from their evil to good. And almost always the change comes because of love. Now these are movies, but I'm talking about real life. I'm talking about your soul. As evil as it may be, the love of Jesus Christ can forgive your sins and restore your soul. And it is only Jesus Christ who can do that. I'm almost finished. But I want you to finish this I want you to finish this sentence for me. Not out loud, just in your mind. I want you to finish this sentence for me. If God is real, you, you finish that sentence in your mind. What, what comes after that in your mind? There's no wrong answer, by the way, so no pressure. If God is real, might be a variety of answers in your mind. If God is real, I will praise Him. Some of you may be saying, if God is real, I would be shocked. Some are saying, if God is real, I better turn my life around. God is real, He is good. If God is real, He is all-powerful. If God is real, He is in complete control. And all of those things, or some of those things, may be true. Unless you thought that if God was real, you'd be shocked. That's not true, because God is real, but... Let me finish it in a way for you today that you need to consider and think about this morning. If God is real, one day I will have to stand before Him. There are a lot of people in this world that are on the fence. I don't know about God. I don't know if He's real. I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I don't know about this baptism. Now you got a 50-50 shot. Flip the coin, right? It's not very good odds. If God is real, one day you will have to stand before Him. And when you stand before Him, unless you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. And you can beg and plead and you can say, But God, but I went to church. 
But God, I heard this sermon one Sunday. I went with this girl who was being baptized, and I heard this sermon, and I believed that Jesus was real, and I, and I, and I, and I, never, I, never, I never really followed him. But God, I, I, didn't, I didn't doubt you. I, I just wasn't sure what to do, and we can come up with all these excuses and all these things that we can do. But we will never be able to make a case before God unless our case is Jesus Christ. If God is real, one day we will stand before him. And I will tell you today that God is real. And I hope that everybody in this room will stand before God. And when we stand before God, we can say, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have, I have followed him and his death is what covers my death. And his restoration and his resurrection is what covers my resurrection. His victory is what gives me victory. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you say today, you know what? I've never followed Jesus. I want to follow him today. Then repent. Repent of your sin. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do, love the Lord and love your neighbor. And when you do, we'll baptize you. Praise the Lord. Because baptism follows repentance. But repentance also follows baptism. And there may be some of you here today, and you, 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 you're a follower of the Lord. You, you really are His. But you haven't lived like it. In a few weeks, a few months, a few years... Well, guess what? You can repent. You can repent. You can turn from your evil and you can be restored by the Lord. And that's what God desires today. He gives us His Word to warn us, to call us out for our sin, not because He wishes to see us destroyed, but because He wishes to see that we are saved. Let's pray. God, we come to You this morning. And we thank you for these good words. And I pray that they have been good words to us, God. I pray that Jesus Christ has been glorified in this place. God, I pray that if there is one in this room who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that today they would do so. God, there are no words specifically to say other than, God, I'm a sinner. And I trust that Jesus is the Savior of the world and I put my faith in him. And that's it, God. If they, if they, if they come to that, that truth in their heart and they repent, then, God, they are yours this day, and we praise you for that. And, God, I pray that you would help this young lady that's given her life to you, this baptism we celebrate today. I pray that you would help her on her journey, dear Lord. Be with her on the tough days. Help her to be in your word. Help her to be encouraged by you. Help her to live in your joy. And God, above all, help her to love you and to love her neighbor. And God, there may be some in this room who are yours, and they're not living like it. But maybe today you've, you've, you've convicted them, dear Lord. Maybe today something that was said here has started working on their heart. And God, I pray that if that is the case, that they would repent. God, they don't have to keep living in their sin. God, we don't have to. When we sin, God, we can repent and we thank you. And maybe there are some today that just simply need to be 
forgiven. They just need to repent. And I pray that they would do that. And God, I pray that you just bless the rest of this service as we have this, just this time of just kind of reflection and, and singing this song to, to praise and pray to you, God, that you would work on our hearts. And God, as we get into this, this baptism here in just a few minutes, I pray that you'd bless these few minutes we have and bless this fellowship we're about to have and this food we're about to have. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.